morning, as we look in Romans chapter 1, we're going to go through the entire book, not really, but I want us to uh, just take a, a look, a snapshot at what he, Paul, is going through in the nation and how it relates to you and I. Because today, if we're very honest, our world seems to be broken beyond repair. But we've got to be real honest as well as we look at history that, that Paul was facing many of the same problems. In fact, sometimes even exacerbated more. When we look at the last part of Romans chapter 1, it says in verse 18 this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made. So today, we're in a world that seems to be denying reality. And you can do that, but you do so at your own peril. I can believe that I fly and get on top of this auditorium roof and then step out off the side, but the reality of gravity and my lack of ability will cause you to call the ambulance. My belief will meet reality, and that will be a train wreck. So today, we've got to understand that Paul was going through a lot of the same things, but how did he address the problems of the day? So let's ask the Lord to help us this morning, and that we would be open to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Father, we come before you in Jesus' holy name. Lord, I thank you for this college. I thank you for the founding, for what it stood for, what it is standing for. I thank you for these men and women who are training to be pleasing to you and to make a difference for eternity. Lord, today, help us to lift high the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Lord, help us to be thankful of what we've been given and to glorify and magnify your precious name. For it's in Jesus' holy name we do pray. Amen. So there's a poem I'd like to share with you, and, and I just want you to think about it in, in context of our message. It says this by a particular author. It said, The Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John are read by more than a few. But the one that is most read and commented on is probably the gospel according to you. You're writing a gospel, a chapter each day by the things you do and the words you say. Men, read what you write, whether faithless or true. So what's the gospel according to you? Do men read his truth and his love in your life or has yours been too full of malice and strife? Does your life speak of evil or does it ring true? Say, what is the gospel according to you? Now, the reason I share that poem is you cannot get around the, the writings of Paul without coming upon a word time and time again. 
some 69 times in those books, you'll find the word gospel. Gospel. The good news. And for you and I today, in a wicked and perverse generation, which we could compare to Rome, which was a terrible place to be, how did Paul, or how did he actually confront a society, a world that was against God, against truth, against reality? So let's start at our first verse in Romans chapter 1, as we've already shared a little bit at the end of the first chapter. It says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. Now, we'll look, first of all, he's giving his credentials. It's the position of Paul, or where he is in the whole framework of the church and what God's doing. First of all, you see that he says that he is a servant. And you know that that word is doulos, and it means a a bond servant. Many times the modern translations put the word slave in there, but bond servant is a great word because it literally means someone who is tying themselves to someone else for life. And it is a choice. It is a benefit to the person that is serving, but also it is for the purpose of the master. So here he calls himself a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Then he also says that he's sent. And that word is wrapped up in the word apostle. Called to be an apostle or a delegate. One that is sent with the authority or with a commission from the one who sent him. So Paul is telling us his position, that he's a servant. Then he's also sent. But then he says something else. I'm separated. Not just to anything. He says this, separated. Say it with me. Unto the gospel of God. One more time. Separated. Unto the gospel of God. Now, I'm one that I love to ask questions. And I think that the Lord Jesus Christ used that so very um, well while he was walking on this earth. He, He would ask people questions to start pulling out what they really mean. So what does Paul mean when he says the gospel of God? I'm glad you asked because he answers it. Now, he takes all of his writings to answer it. But he gives us a brief summary here. In fact, he says, I'm going to tell you about this gospel of God. So first of all, we see the position of Paul, but then we're going to see the plan of God, what he actually is talking about. Verse 2, which he had promised afore, by his prophets in the Holy Scripture. So we see that God promised. He had this plan already in place that he was going to um, have good news in a broken and bad world. In verse 3 it says, concerning 
his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David, according to the flesh, declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. Now, when Paul was talking about God having this promised gospel through the prophets and the scripture, what scripture were we talking about? You know, here in Rome, if we say that he might have written this around 56, then it's primarily speaking of the Old Testament scripture. We know that the, the, um, the gospels, the earliest recorded gospels, could have been as close as just a couple of years after the resurrection. We do know that there was a saying that was going around among the Christians about Jesus who died according to the scriptures, how he was buried and rose again according to the scriptures. But what scripture was it talking about? The promise came from of old. So when he's talking about the promise of God, it doesn't just, it's not just related to the synoptic gospels. We're talking about the entirety of the word of God. And you and I know that that starts all the way back in Genesis. In fact, when Adam and Eve turned their back on God, decided to rebel along with Satan, God was the one that made the first move to reconcile them unto himself. Aren't you glad God is the mover? He's the one that created everything, but he's the one that came to seek and to save that which was lost, and that was me. Genesis 3.15 says, And I'll put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. The first mention of the gospel we see in Genesis chapter 12. He he has a promise. God makes a promise to Abram. And I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee and make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, curse him that curseth thee. And in thee, all families of the earth will be blessed. So we start seeing how things tie together. Yes, you can read the New Testament if that's the only thing you have, and you can come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, but you see all that God has been doing and is doing and will do when you start in the Old Testament and go all the way to the New. Genesis 22, you remember when Abram is told, Abraham is told to offer his son. Now, God is going to stop him because he's going to say, this is not the way, but he was going to test Abraham. And do you remember when Abraham and Isaac are walking up onto the mountain and and Isaac looks at his dad and says, "Uh, we got all the stuff except for the offering. Where's the lamb? And what did Abraham say? God will provide himself a lamb. That's right. And then as Abraham binds Isaac, and I'm just sitting there thinking, when my son was seven, no problem. I would have no problem tying him up. But now that my son is 25 we would have a little bit of a wrestling match. Now, if I could get on top of him, he's done. I've got him in weight. But if I can't catch him, I can't tie him. 
but my son also trusts me. And if I asked my son to come and sit down, he would. Now, if I pulled out the ropes, he might pull out a gun. No, well. <laughs> but we know that Isaac submitted to his father. And we know that Abraham took a knife and was going to plunge it into the chest of his son, fully believing that God would raise him from the dead because he was a child of promise. See, when God makes a promise, you can count on it. Amen? That's why it says here about the gospel being a promise of God from the prophets, from the Scripture. So we go through Genesis 22, and we also see this, that he says that God is going to bless him, Abraham. And he's going to bless his family and his nation and the world through him. Now, how is that going to happen? You and I know because we've read the last chapter of the book. But Abraham didn't fully understand everything, but was still trusting God. Now, men and women, I don't fully understand all that's going on in the world right now. But I can tell you, you can trust God. And he will still come through on his promises. In Psalm 22, we hear this, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? This is another glimpse of what God's going to do. In Psalm 22, 7 and 8, it says this, All they that see me laughing to scorn, they shoot out the lip, they shake their head, saying, He trusted in the, on the Lord. Uh, on the Lord, that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. Psalm 22, 6, where dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and feet. Wow. A picture of a promise that would come. Isaiah 7, 14, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. I know we're getting ready for the Christmas season. But this is bigger than Christmas. This is from creation to when he reconciles all things unto himself. He is the God that keeps his promises. Isaiah 9, The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shine. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He is despised. He is rejected. Man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. We hid, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrata, thou, though thou had been little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of these shall he come forth un, unto me, that is to be the ruler in Israel, from whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. Zechariah says this, and I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplications and they shall look upon me 
whom they have pierced. The promise to David was he was going to have someone on the throne forever. So when Paul is thinking about the good news, it was culminated when Jesus came into this world, when he lived a perfect life as the God-man, when he died a perfect sacrificial death, when he was buried and he rose again. But it went a lot further back, even before the very foundation of the world. So he is talking about the promise of God here that's tied to the gospel of God. Then he also talks about a proof, a proof that something actually occurred. Now, I've did a lot of reading on the resurrection. And I tell you, I've studied a lot about apologetics, defending of the faith. And I've come to a conclusion. It's not the matter of lack of evidence. It's a matter of the heart. Because you'll believe something. You have to choose who you will believe. And it's very logical to look at all of the evidence and come to the conclusion that Jesus rose from the dead. And that was a proof of the gospel that God was giving out, that Paul was sharing, and that he was telling to the people there in Rome. Now, we know that there, were, there was a church, but there were probably groups there. It doesn't say to the church necessarily. It's talking to a, a group of people, and they are in the epicenter of wickedness. You know, some of their own philosophers said that Rome was full of filth. It was nothing but a sewer. And Paul is relating here, though, that there is a proof of God, that God raised Christ from the dead. And we can even look at that back again in the Old Testament. But if you read through the accounts of Acts, you see what Paul is preaching in a world that is upside down and broken. Psalm 16 verse 10 says this, For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither will thou suffer thy holy one to see corruption. Jonah, it says here, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And you remember what Jesus says? For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And Acts 1-3 says, To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days and speaking of the things pertaining the kingdom of God. And in 1 Corinthians 15, the resurrection chapter, Paul tells you how he really feels about the resurrection. If Jesus is not alive, we're of all men most miserable. In fact, we should be ashamed of ourselves if Jesus is not alive. For I delivered unto you, first of all, which I also received, how that Christ died for our sin according to the Scriptures. Again, Old Testament Scriptures, not new. He was buried and He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Now, that was already foretold as well, that 
There was going to be a rising from the dead. And he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. And that he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. You could have walked out and talked to someone who had seen Jesus. So there's, you know, when you have a conspiracy, if somebody were going to try to pull the wool over the eyes of a nation or a people, the more people you have, the less likely you're going to have a conspiracy that works. Because people, when they get in a jam, do you know what they normally do? They'll cut a deal to get out of a jam. But he says, listen, go look. There's over 500. You can ask them. And it's an amazing thing that the disciples would die. Not for a lie, but for the truth. They would go and go to their death with these words still on their lips. But he says that, And last of all, he was seen of me also as one born out of due time. And that goes into his qualification again as an apostle. Now, one person has written this particular quote about the resurrection. So significant is this event that the whole of the Christian faith would fall if the resurrection of Jesus Christ were not true. Without the belief in the resurrection, the Christian faith could not have come into being. The disciples would have remained crushed and defeated men. Even if they continued to remember Jesus as their beloved teacher, his crucifixion would have silenced any hope of him being the Messiah. The cross would have remained the sad, shameful end of his career. Therefore, it's crucial. It is literally a proof of the good news, the proof of God, that he raised Jesus from the dead. But then we also see there is the power of God, and we're going to skip down just a bit. It's a verse that you probably committed to memory, and that's good. For he says this in verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Let's read that together again out loud. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Really? Really? And I'm asking that of me. Really? I think it was Warren Wiersbe that wrote this. He said, why would, why would Paul be tempted to be ashamed? You know, when you think about that, he, he says this, for one thing, the gospel, he said, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. The gospel was identified with a poor Jewish carpenter who was crucified. The Romans had no special appreciation for the Jews. And crucifixion was the lowest form of execution given a criminal. Why put your faith in a Jew who had been crucified? Do you see how that was scandalous? How that would be shameful in the world that you are saying. Not only do you need to trust in a Jew that had been crucified, but that you need to say that he is the one and only way. 
You're talking about making emperors mad. When they were supposed to be deific in themselves, then when you say that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, no man comes unto the Father but by Him. By the way, do I say that? Did I say that? I just, I, I repeated it, but who said that? Jesus did. So if somebody gets mad, let them get mad at Jesus. Amen? Let's exalt Jesus, but let them see what Jesus says. Because today, men and women, people are saying, shame on you. Shame on you claiming that there's only one way to heaven. Don't you press your view onto me. Well, wait a minute. Would I be loving if I did not tell you the truth? Now, I need to share the truth in love. And would you be loving to me if I said, listen, I can fly and I'm going to go up on the roof. And you said, go for it. Oh, some of you would have your phones out. That's not nice. But some of you would say, Pastor Avery, uh, I think you need to rest a little bit. What's your wife's phone number? Can we get her on the phone? But Paul has not gone to Rome yet. But he longs to go to Rome to share the reality of the promised gospel, of the proof of the gospel, that Jesus was raised from the dead. And he's wanting to share the power of the gospel, the dynamite of the gospel, even though it's scandalous. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 18 is, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. 1 Corinthians 1, 23 and 4 says, But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, unto the Greeks, the ones that thought they had all the knowledge, foolishness, but unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, the wisdom of God, because... Mark this down. What looks foolish? Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. No matter how the world is upside down, God is still right. So we do see the promise. We see the proof we're going to see the power. Yeah. But we also have something that's called the performance of the gospel. The performance of the gospel. What does the gospel do? For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. To everyone that believeth. To the Jew first and also to the Greek, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by what? Faith. Now, I want you to understand biblical faith does not mean blind faith. Because it seems like he gave us promises so that you would know what he was saying is true. He gives you proof because Jesus raised from the dead. In fact, Jesus many times would say this. He would say... Um, 
I've said this to you, but don't just believe because I've said it. Look at the works that I do because the works always tended to the credibility of the message. That's why it's so very important for us Christians. The gospel according to you. Because the works always lend to the credibility of the message. Now, I have to admit to you, my wife would be a little jealous. We finally got her baby grand piano at the church. Praise God. It only took us a year and a half to get our auditorium renovated. Lord, help us. But if I went over to try to play any of the music they just played, like the song that was talking about being thankful, that was a wonderful song. I saw that, what was it, Al Smith? He was uh, one that copyrighted that, but it was someone else that, that wrote it. If I went over there and I butchered the song, guess what? You w- who you would not blame is the composer. You would look at me and say, that guy can't play. I can the radio, thank you very much. In fact, I was playing a CD on the way down of one of the graduates of Ambassador, and he was doing a great job singing, and the guys did a wonderful job singing up here glorifying the Lord. But just because someone plays Beethoven poorly, you don't blame Beethoven. God is always right, and he does something with the gospel unto salvation. Seneca said Rome was a cesspool of iniquity. The writer Juvenal called it filthy sewer in which the dregs of the empire flood. How would you like to call that of your own capital? Wait a minute. Never mind. I'm going right along. Don't want to get anywhere. No wonder Paul, though, was not ashamed. Why? You remember when we were talking there in in verse 18, and it talks about some sins. It talks about creation saying that God is. In fact, in chapter 2, it talks about conscience saying that God is. But then it goes down into some different things where people deny reality. In fact, they, they change the use of which they're designed, their bodies. And it talks about homosexuality. But that's not the only sin it's talking about there. It's talking about, again, denying the Creator. And then it goes down to many different sins that are also involved here. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud boasters, inventors of evil things. Wow. Disobedient to parents. Wait wait a minute. Where did that one come in? Without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable and merciful. Huh. But it talks about being not thankful. Do you know, one of the reasons Paul was so tied up with the gospel is he knew what the gospel did in his life. Because he had been a murderer. He had been a truth breaker. He had been a debater. He 
saw that God was able to change him. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus under good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new what? Creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become, becoming new. And Paul knew where he was and where he, he was before and where he is now. And he was not ashamed of the gospel because it was the power of God unto salvation. And he was getting ready to go into the political, the religious, the societal, the cultural lion's den. Do you know what they call Christians, 1st century, 2nd century, 3rd century? Atheists. You know why they called you atheist? Because you didn't believe in the gods. You only believed in one God. So they said that you were impious, that you were not a believer. You were not only a religious traitor, but you were a political traitor. I don't know what's going to happen in our country But there are places in the world today that they say you are not a patriot if you do not bow to whatever the government says. When our government tells us we can't bow to Jesus, we no longer bow or or submit necessarily to the government that says that. We have to stand for what God said. And Paul was welcoming going to Rome, a place where it was going to be hard. There was once told of an open-air meeting. And in the meeting, a preacher asked for testimonies. And while they were going on, a skeptic was passing by. Just when the testimony of a saved drunkard was being given, he stopped and listened. The former drunkard would tell, was telling how Jesus had wrought a miracle, saved his poor soul. Remember, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. The skeptic scoffingly made a few remarks to those standing near and then said this, it was nothing more than a dream, religion saving a man in this manner. No one answered, but God had a way of dealing with the man. Among the listeners was a little girl of about 10. She heard the remark from the skeptic, Going up to him, this is what she said. Please, sir, if it's only a dream, please don't wake him up because that's my daddy. God changes people. That's the reality of the gospel. You can't stand out on 74 and say, there's no such thing as a truck. There's no such thing as a truck. And then meet the truck. And be the same. Nor can you say, okay, well, yeah, I met God. And if you're the same, after you've met Jesus Christ, you haven't met Jesus Christ. If any man, woman, boy, or girl be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Paul knew that. That's why Paul in that first chapter, mentions the gospel some four times. So the last thing I want you to see today, and you've been very patient with me, is the profession of Paul. Now, he had his position. Then we had 
the gospel of God, right? And how he has this plan and he shows it by his prophets. He's got those promises. He shows it by power. He's showing it by proof. He's showing it all the way through what it does, this performance. But I want you to, to see the profession of Paul. Because in chapter 1, verse 1, he says the gospel of God. In chapter 1, verse 9, he says the gospel of his son. In chapter 1, verse 15, he says, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you in Rome. And he was talking to Christians and those that were unsaved. Hey, don't stop preaching about Jesus. That is the gospel all the way through. We know it's his death, burial, and resurrection. But it opens up into a scope how he came how he planned, how he will come again. So talk about Jesus, lift him up. And then he says again, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. But then we get over to chapter 2. And he says something with a different nuance. This is what it says in verse 16. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to, what are those next two words? My gospel. Huh. He talked about God's gospel. He talked about the gospel of his son, talked about him, um, the gospel of Christ. In verse 15 of chapter 10, he talks about the gospel of peace. He even gives some Old Testament reference about them not obeying the good news. For Isaiah said, Lord, who hath I believed our report? And then in 1128, as concerning the gospel, they are enemies. He's saying there are some that are against the gospel. But in chapter 15, he says, ministering the gospel of God. Chapter 15, verse 19, I fully preach the gospel of Christ. Chapter 15, verse 20, I strive to preach the gospel. Chapter 15, verse 29, the blessing of the gospel of Christ. But at the bookend of Romans, he says... Now to him that is able uh, that now to him that is a power to establish you according to my gospel. Huh. Paul, I thought this was all about the Lord. It is. But the question is, what are you going to do with it? See, when we grasp the truth of what God is doing and how the gospel changes our life and what it requires of our life, our direction will change. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard of a Chinese Christian by the name of Lo. Lo Fuk. He had a great compassion for slaves, Chinese slaves, that were in the South African mines. By the way, those of you that might be considering ministry in Africa, got a good missionary friend, we just had coffee yesterday, and he was talking about just the amount of people that are coming to know the Lord. But the Muslims are active in their evangelism. They have the evangelism of the sword. If you do not believe, they will kill you. There are many Chinese that are swarming into Africa as a place to repopulate. 
and to have different um, industry pop up. The, the, the African mission field is multicultural, just like much of the world, like America. But there is so much going on there. There are opportunity after opportunity for all kinds of ministry. But this particular Christian, he had a passion to reach those slaves that were in the mines and he felt led of the Lord to actually sell himself into slavery for five years. Now, if you're like me, I'm like, uh... He worked hard. He suffered as a slave. He preached and he shared Christ to those he worked with. Before his five years was through... He died. But before his death, he saw over 200 births. 200 Chinese slaves were born again. He was connected with God through Christ and God's love was lived through him. As he met the needs of these Chinese slaves, he saw them. He ministered to them. He shared with them. But today, men and women, in a day when wickedness is rampant and the difference between right and wrong seems blurred, when the truth is doubted and lies are embraced, what would God have us to do? Let me go ahead and tell you. Share the gospel. Preach the gospel. Teach the gospel. Live the gospel. Love the gospel. The gospel of God. The gospel of His Son. The gospel of Christ. The gospel of peace. The gospel of Paul. But is it your gospel? Because only you can take it to some of those people that I can't. And if we're not convinced that this is our gospel, He gave it to us for a reason. There are people that will not be reached. So is it your gospel? And where is He telling you to take your gospel? Every head bowed and every eye closed for a moment. Lord, I believe. I see the promises. I hear the prophets. I see the proof. You've demonstrated your power. But have I truly grasped on to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Lord, are we playing today? Or are we separated unto the gospel of God? Lord, there are so many things that pull at us today. And even though it's a strange time, we must stand even in the midst of cultural, religious, and societal condemnation, where they would say, you should be ashamed, we can say, I am not ashamed of the gospel because I know it's promised, it's power. And I'm grasping onto it because I've been changed and I want to see other people changed as well. Lord, help us to commit to the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we would own it and that we would show it.
We ask it all in Jesus' name.